Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Thursday, November 7th. Awesome show today, guys. Josh Graham from WSJS Radio. Going to come on, talk to us. The Drive with Josh Graham, his own podcast. Awesome show. I'll listen to it myself. Really good stuff. He knows his stuff very well. Going to break down college basketball with him and some Panthers talk as well. From the from the Raleigh, from the Charlotte, uh, Charlotte area, uh, going to talk some about Panthers with him, the Bryce Young, CJ Stroud battle going on. And, you know, like I said, break down Duke basketball, UNC basketball, and even getting into some more about college basketball talk ahead, getting us ready for the season. Little micro preview we have with him. Awesome talk. And uh, college basketball tipped off last night. A lot to get into with him. Great interview coming up. But first, guys, I do want to talk about the NBA playing tournament. First, uh, started on Friday. The first round of games started on Friday. A little bit of a rundown. Uh, Pacers beat the Cavs. Bucks beat the Knicks. Heat over the Wizards. Uh, Nets uh, beat the Bulls. Warriors beat the Thunder with controversy, but we'll get to that. And Nuggets beat the Mavericks. And Trailblazers beat the Grizzlies. I want to get your guys' first overall reactions uh, from the play-in tournament. How you think about it. What you think the players think about it. And like how... How do you think this is going to you know, be, be perceived going forward? Like I said, last Friday, uh, November 3rd, it did tip off, and the finals uh, championships will uh, are planned to be on December 9th. Um, I liked it overall. First of all, like I said, the, the courts are awesome. I think the players uh, kind of treat it like a regular season game, so there's not really much more special about it than any regular season game. But the travel aspect of it and just something else to cheer about, especially if your team is on the bottom end of your conference. Uh, definitely something to cheer about, and I, and I like it. What do you guys think about the play-in tournament so far? Yeah, I just yeah. think of it as basically regular season basketball. It doesn't really feel that different to me, except the courts are a whole lot brighter. And, yeah, yeah there was some controversy with the uh, – the Warriors ending, I thought they got it right ultimately, but I mean, I can't really get into it. I'm sorry. It's, I, I just look at it as a gimmick, and the players, like, look, LeBron doesn't care. Kevin Durant doesn't yeah. care. The best players don't care about it. It's nice for the uh, the middle pack of the roster that's trying to ha- hang on to a roster spot, and that uh, loose, that extra money can certainly help them out, but I mean, I'm yeah. just not, not a big fan. The players don't even know what's going on. It looks like, I mean, they. you look at all the interviews that they have with the players, you know, before the games, after the games. They don't get it. They don't really know what the point of it is. They just kind of go with the flow and don't really understand the whole tournament style or what they're really playing for. They just treat it as a regular season game, like I kind of said. And like I said, I kind of like it from a fan perspective, but the, but the players just don't get it. And they just kind of show up, play their game like they usually would and just go home. And, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll kind of see if the fans pick up on it more. But, Justin, anything you want to say to this before moving on? Yeah, it's definitely – I'll say this again. It should have been done by the All-Star break. You yeah. can replace the playing tournament with the All-Star game, but this just doesn't make any sense to have it this early in the season yeah. with a week in. And, I mean, very, it's, it's uncertain for the players. It's uncertain for the players and, you know – Really put it at the All Star break instead. Yeah, it's the NBA's. Uh, it's the NBA's. Basically, they're trying to make the pl- uh, beginning of the season more intriguing to, to, to fans. I mean, obviously, NFL is still going on. Middle of the season, just had middle of the season this past Sunday, so fans are definitely well invested in, in football right now. And I think it's just Adam Silver's in the NBA's way of 
bringing more attention to the NBA when it first starts and getting people on board earlier than they usually do, which, uh, as we all know, really doesn't happen until at least midway through the season, if not even three-fourths of the way through the season once the playoff races actually start to start to matter and the season gets shorter. Moving on, guys. Before moving on to you know Week 9 NFL, I want to go over the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. Um, brief, brief update. Connor Stallions, the guy responsible for, you know, the main guy responsible to, for going to the games, uh, doing the espionage, stealing on the t- uh, stealing the team's sign callings and doing all the spying that he was doing. He did resign on Friday, so Connor Stallions is out of Michigan. Um, Big Ted? Resigned. Resi- re- resigned? No, he w- didn't actually resign. I'm sure it was one of those resign or get fired, or we're just going to call it a resigning just so it sounds better. Big Ten athletic directors, no, no, uh, no surprise here. They're all pushing for the league to take action uh, and take further, you know, investigation into this whole matter. Uh, Michigan did win on Saturday against Purdue. No, no surprise. They blew them out, 41-13. Play, uh, pay, play Penn State this weekend. So that's going to be an interesting kind of storyline going into this big, big game they have against Penn State. Hardball, of course, continues to deny all allegations from the NCAA. Um, and yeah, I mean, NCAA did go to Ann Arbor and he was questioned, uh, by officials and he continues to deny all wrongdoing. So just like I said, we're not going to keep, we're not going to keep talking about this. Really the biggest update is that Connor Stallions is out of Michigan, whatever you want to call it, resigned or however you want to say it, but he is out of Michigan. Um, and this is going to get pretty ugly and it's, I'm interested to see, you know, what ultimately ends up happening with Michigan with all this, uh, investigation going on. Week nine, guys, preview, uh, recapping week nine NFL, like we always do, we're going to start with the closest game of the week. And Zach, we'll start with you. What game, a lot of them this week, actually, what was your closest game of the week? Yeah, this might be the case for a couple of these categories, but it's got to be the uh, the great game down in Houston with the Bucks and the, uh, the Texans. What a fantastic game that was. Both quarterbacks showed up and showed out in a big way. C.J. Stroud breaking the rookie record, 470 yards, five touchdowns, taking his team down to win the game with 46 seconds to go. Uh, dumb of Todd Bolson, I'd take the 10-second runoff because time wasn't really a factor for them after a, a, a move turnover fumble i think it was a uh, they had to take a timeout or something they should have just taken the runoff so that houston didn't have as much time to strike as they did but it was just a back and forth shootout you even had a running back kicking a field goal in this game because the texans kicker got banged up this game had a little bit of everything might have been the best game so far of the nfl season tank dell had two touchdown catches cj Stroud continues to show that he is the best rookie quarterback in the nfl probably the rookie mm-hmm. of the year right now and the texans still have a chance in that division even though we all talk about how good the jaguars are and deservedly so the texans are still in the mix that was a fantastic game yeah i'm gonna go with the commanders patriots for my closest game of the week uh despite 29th ranked defense in the league commanders defense did do enough to get a victory for uh washington they are still alive in the nfc wildcard race obviously nfc uh not the strongest uh you know afc way stronger than the nfc probably like eight nine wins will be the key factor or the key number for you know to get into the wildcard game in the nfc but yeah no sam howe Roller coaster of a ride he's been so far, but uh, yesterday was a, was the good part of the ride for sure. I mean, he threw for 325 yards. Uh, great, uh, great win considering the Patriots have not, um, the Commanders have not won in Roxborough, excuse me, in almost 30 years. I think they've going into this game they lost the last four games against the Patriots straight up. You know, regardless of where they are, and yeah, this is also on the heels of trading its two best players last week as well. So good, good win for the Commanders. 
Patriots, uh, I have a lot of question marks about the Patriots. A lot of people do, obviously. Except for Marjorie Stevenson, the Patriots have no offensive skill players. Um, Jones overthrows his passes, overthrows his receivers all the time. When you watch them on offense, it seems like they're pulling hair just to get a single yard. I mean, they're really, really lackluster on offense. It's it's really sad to watch. It really it's ugly to watch, to be honest. And a lot of kind of like the Cowboys. I mean, better offense, but a lot of self-inflicted penalties that are really, really easy to avoid. Um, I mean, this past game alone, they had an offsides penalty on that crucial fourth and second that you know ended their drive and ended their chance to really come back and beat the Commanders. Um, yeah, couldn't get a win at home against the league's arguably worst defense, like I already said. And New England drops to two, two and seven for the first time in Belichick's since Belichick's first season in two thousand, and they're the only team now without a win with without a win outside of their division. So they have a lot of work to do. Patriots uh, might have to just call it in this season, maybe uh, try to tank, get a nice uh, draft pick coming up because they definitely need help on offense. And yeah, Jones continues to not be the guy going forward for the Patriots. Justin, what is your uh, uh, closest game of the week? Closest game of the week, I'm going with the Vikings and the Falcons. Joshua Dobbs is a very good backup quarterback. I will say that for any any team, he could be a very serviceable backup. He had 158 yards passing and on 66 yards rushing on seven attempts. Three touchdown combined, two in the three touchdown combined. Yes, two in the air, one on the ground. Did not turn the ball over. Taylor Heineke came in for the Falcons, apparently, as uh, as Desmond Ritter, I believe, left the game with the with an injury. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, Ritter left the game with an injury. Heineke, two, 21 for 38, 268 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. But definitely a very close game, and I'm surprised that, uh, that the Vikings kept this close and ultimately... Pulled off the victory over the Falcons. Yeah, I'll get to I'll get to the command or um, not the not the commanders. I'll get the Dobbs more in my uh, uh, most intriguing storyline, which we'll start with you, Zach, first. What was your most intriguing storyline of this week? Most intriguing storyline. Are the Bills going to make the playoffs? Are we certain that the Bills are good? Because we've seen them against good teams really struggle. You know, they've lost to the Jets. They lost against the Patriots that they shouldn't have lost that game, and now you drop to. Five and four on the season. This is a team that doesn't seem to have an identity. They can't really run the ball. Their defense has been ineffective. You know, they're not a good matchup for the Bengals because Joe Burrow is really good against zone defense, and the Bills are have to play man to man against him. And the Bills are not a very good man to man team. So it, maybe it's just a case of a bad matchup. I don't know, but I'm seeing this team. Josh Allen turns the ball over a lot. They don't really have a dependable playmaker outside of Stephon Diggs, and the AFC being as good as it is. The Bills are thought of as one of the best teams in the, the, the league, but the schedule they've got, they still got to play Philadelphia. They still got to play Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Still got to play the Jets again. Still got to play the Dolphins again. I'm I not wish. sure they're making the play. They beat the Dolphins earlier this year. But uh, uh, Cow- Cowboys, yeah. Cowboys, yeah, Cowboy. you're right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. I'm not sure that we should pencil them into the playoffs right now because they're not looking like the team we thought they would be. Yeah, no. Uh, we had Chuck Pollock on a couple, you know, a week ago, and he talked about the uh, Bills and he even said before the season started that the Bills might only win ten games. Um, and he was he's he's pretty much on point. They might even win less than that. I mean, I think the if they get ten wins, I think they will make the playoffs. They will make the AFC uh, into the get in with a wild card game at least. But yeah, no, the Bills definitely are struggling. Um, 
McDermott is calling all the play calls for the, I mean, he's running the defense. He has no defensive coordinator. That was a big mistake for the, for the uh, Buffalo Bills. And it's obviously showing in their games that they're playing now. They're struggling big time. Offense still, still pretty good, but their defense can't, you know, having a hard time really stopping anyone. My most intriguing storyline, I'm going to go with Dobbs. Kind of going back to what you were saying, Justin, uh, with Josh Dobbs. I think uh, I want to see if Dobbs, Dobbs can be the guy for the Vikings. I mean, obviously just traded from the Cardinals. Uh, had, you know, obviously a pretty bad performance with the Cardinals, but the Cardinals also have no weapons around him to really showcase his talents uh, in Arizona. But now he's in, you know, he's with the Vikings. Jefferson will come back eventually. Um, Dobbs has been... Oh, he's been you know moved around the t- uh, a league so many times. He's appe- he's appeared on four different teams over the last three and a half years and was rostered on three more. Um, he's kind of like I mean he's a worse Kyler Murray almost. It looks like he's super improvisational, improv- <laughs> improvisational. Excuse me. He makes plays with his feet. He's super fun to watch. Really fast. Can get out of the pocket really quickly. He's yeah. I mean he thinks on his feet and he's a good quarterback. I think he's gonna. I mean not a good quarterback, but he's definitely not a bad quarterback. And I think he's actually gonna kind of find his footing in in, in the Vikings uh, offense. And I'm excited to see what he can do going down the stretch. Uh, he looked rough. I would say Dobbs is definitely. Wouldn't say he's a worser version of Kyler Murray. I'd say he might be, let's say, a worser version of, of Gardner Minshew, maybe even a better version of Gardner Minshew as a backup quarterback in this league. Yeah, I mean, th- this last Sunday, uh, you know, when they played, the, he had a rough start at first. I mean, his, fir- his first drive ended in a safety. Uh, he bounced back, obviously, beautifully. Uh, three for uh, two touchdowns and ran for one touchdown. 20 for 30, 158 yards passing with 66 rushing yards. He actually led the team. He led the Vikings in rushing. Uh, Cam Akers obviously was injured for the Vikings, which is unfortunate. We'll get into that maybe a little bit later too. But, yeah, I mean, he probably didn't even know the names of the receivers that he was throwing to all game because he, he you know, was only on the team for five days before, uh, you know, joining the squad. And even then, Jaron Hall actually had all the first round, first rep, um, you know, reps with the team in practice that week leading up to the game. And, of course, Jaron Hall went down early with that concussion. That did give Dobbs the opportunity to come out and play and really showcase uh, what he can do. Atlanta, by the other side of the coin, Atlanta continues to not use their offensive weapons appropriately. I mean, B. John Robinson only had 13 touches. touches. Kyle Pitts only targeted five times. Um, I mean, yeah, so that's Atlanta just will be a lot better if they can figure out their offense and really utilize their first-round draft picks that they had this year that they obviously traded up to get and uh, had a lot of, you know, they had a lot of a hope for going into the season. Um, so, yeah, but Arthur Smith, my last point on this is Arthur Smith is definitely on the hot seat for Atlanta. Uh, they need to figure this out badly or else, uh, yeah, he might be fired uh, midway, through, midway through the season or maybe even uh, before the season over. Uh, Justin, what was your most intriguing storyline of the week? My most intriguing storyline is C.J. Stratt's future in this league. Had 470 passing yards this week, five touchdown passes and no interceptions, 34-42 on the passing attempts. C.J. Stratt, I'm intrigued by the way he's playing and his future in this league, to and into the future as maybe even a top-10 quarterback or a top-5 quarterback. Yep. And you look at the AFC South, There's the future is, is in that division with Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, maybe even Will Levis, and obviously Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. So I would, I'm very intrigued by the way C.J. Stroud played this week, and 
that's definitely probably going to be the sh my shootout of the week before yep. before we get into it. <laughs> All of ours, probably. Um, what is your surprise of the week, Zach? Moving, moving on. Yeah, this really wasn't a week for upsets, which is kind of surprising, but I guess my surprise would be how easily the Ravens dominated the Seahawks. See, that was a pretty good team. Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker, that's a solid team. But the Ravens just made them to make mincemeat out of them. This is the second time this year that we've seen them pick apart a good NFC team. They did it to the Lions earlier this season. Baltimore's defense is the best defense in the NFL right now. They lead the league in sacks. They're getting after the quarterback. Uh, they're, they're very good at all three phases. Great in the secondary, great at the linebacker room, and their defensive line is really good. The Ravens might be the best team in the AFC right now. It's either them or the Chiefs as far as I'm concerned. But so it was not, not a surprise that they won. That was my prediction of my survivor last week. But that the fact that they won by 34 points, that surprised yep. me. Yeah, no, I'm going to continue off that, and um, yeah, my surprise of the week is just how much the Raiders and Ravens, both the Raiders and Ravens, won this past week. I mean, Raiders obviously played the worst team in the league. I'm going to call the Giants the worst team in the league right now, but the Raiders themselves have not been playing well either, and it just shows you that the Patriots' way uh, never really worked anywhere else other than New England, and uh, it's not only the business world where people will work harder for a boss that they like rather than a boss that they don't like. Uh, Josh Jacobs finally had his 100-yard performance of the year. I mean, he basically had he had 98, uh, but his last play of the game was a minus three, um, you know, a minus three total. So a little bit under 100, but still awesome performance for him for the leading rusher last year. Uh, finally had his best game of the season. Uh, energy on the offense was apparent for the, for the Raiders the entire game. I mean, they looked so stagnant and so stiff on offense under McDaniels. And then, you know, as soon as he leaves, creativity's back. They have more energy, uh, you know, a lot more, um, you know, free flow. And they just look a lot more better, a lot better, and a lot more enjoyable on offense to just watch. People forget that their offensive coordinator was also fired along with McDaniels and the GM. So that's something to keep in mind, too, going down the stretch. Defense for the Raiders, I still think it's going to be really, really good. Uh if their offense can be competent and their defense can play well too, this this Raiders team might have a chance to have a resurgence. Not a good, not going to be a good team, but maybe even uh, have a chance to you know be better going down the stretch and you know take this momentum that they're going to get going into the next season. Uh, ended a nine-game skid of failing to score at least twenty points. Uh, the Raiders did. It's the biggest margin of victory for the Raiders since November twenty twenty against the Broncos, who ironically McDaniel's was the coach of at that time. Uh, on the other hand, Giants are really, really bad. Like I said, they ended the end of the game last in total offense, scoring, and passing offense, and they go into this week at, with that same stat line. Like I said, I knew the Raiders would win this game, but I didn't think the Giants would lose by as much as they did. And on the other side of the ball, I mean, like I said, the Ravens also um, beat a Seahawks team that I actually think is not as bad as you know, not as bad as they showed this past Sunday. Defense still really good. Offense has a lot of work to do. Obviously, the Ravens started. Off the game really slow. Two punts in the first two possessions, but they cruised to seven. They cruised the scoring to seven of their next ten drives, just under 300 yards rushing for the game against the Seahawks. Uh, it's the fourth highest total in team history. They held the ball for 40 of the 60 minutes of the game, outgained the Seahawks 515 total yards, so 151 total yards, and uh, yeah, they, they have the NFL best 115 point differential uh, going into next week. Ravens are definitely a Super Bowl contender. They might even be the best team in the league right now, despite the Eagles having a better record. I think the Ravens, um, you know, are definitely 
one of the biggest teams in the league to watch out for. And they're going to be a really, really tough out, whoever plays them uh, in the playoffs. And scary. They might even win the AFC. Who knows? Uh, Justin, what was your surprise of the week? Surprise of the week, I'm going to go with the way the Raiders played, definitely. I would go back to the Raiders and Giants. They, The Raiders just dominated them. I mean, I, I almost had the Giants as my upset pick last week, but... That was uh, that was close. To, I was close to being wrong there, but the uh, but what a game for the Raiders as they just destroyed the Giants. I mean, the Giants probably going to win the Caleb Williams Bowl more than likely now. Probably, I mean, Tommy DeVito is going to be the starting quarterback as as we said, the Italian restaurant owner up in North Jersey yep. Yep. <laughs> as the giant quarterback. But uh, yeah, wow, this is. Just a uh, travesty for the Giants. And this year has been a surprise for them. I didn't think they would be this bad. I mean, I you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think they would be up there with, let's say, the Eagles and the Cowboys in the division. But um, I, I didn't think the Giants would be this bad. I thought the Giants were on the way up. Now it just, they, this is a big regression for them. And that would be my surprise is how the Giants have regressed and how the Raiders have dominated them this week no we talked about it last week too i mean the giants are definitely the most uh, the biggest disappointment and the biggest surprise in, in general this year uh for any team good or bad we're moving on guys let's move on to shootout of the week i think we're all gonna have i actually might have a different shootout of the week but zach we'll start with you what what is your shootout of the week yep it's uh it's bucks texans yep yep i'm gonna actually go with uh, very i mean i know we already talked about it a little bit also and Justin, I think that might be your shootout, too. You can touch on it more. Um, but I am actually going to go with the Eagles and Cowboys. Uh, Eagles' pass, uh, secondary, guys, is a massive, massive problem. They allowed 375 yards uh, Sunday and 8.5 yards per attempt. They gave up a lot of, a lot of big plays, and Dak Prescott was able to have a field day against his secondary. Dak Prescott ultimately, ultimately did end up with 374 total yards, went 29 for 44, and had three touchdowns. Uh, Dak, Dak Prescott, guys, is playing amazing. I mean, he's actually playing really, really well with a, with a really good Cowboys defense as well. Um, eight touchdowns and only one interception over his last three games. C.D. Lamb came out Sunday uh, against A.J. Brown. They had a C.D. Lamb and A.J. Brown had a you know, he wanted to play well against his uh, offensive of the year um, candidate or you know, competitor. 191 yards with 11 receptions. Third game in a row with over 100 yards for C.D. Lamb. And uh, he had more than A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith combined Sunday. So, yeah, I think it was a shootout. Definitely a good game. Eagles would have lost this game if it wasn't for some uh, really, really unfortunately timed penalties against the Cowboys and some you know, phenomenal uh, defensive stops that the Eagles were able to pull out. But like I said, otherwise, I think the Cowboys would have came out with a win in Philadelphia on Sunday. Uh, definitely we'll be seeing these two teams again, other than their December 10th Sunday night football game coming up. I think these teams will end up seeing each other in the playoffs at some point as well. Uh, Justin, is your shootout the Texans game? Anything else you want to say to it? I'll go Eagles Cowboys here. This was just a very this was a very close game and I, I actually thought this was gonna be was actually gonna be my closest game or shootout, but I'll take it for the shootout. This was a I mean they the game management by Nick Sirianni, which I will get to in the new week's resolutions here, is 
definitely could cost the Eagles a Super Bowl, potentially. I hope not. I so hope I'm wrong. But I am nervous about Nick Sirianni's coaching against really good teams, against Dallas again, against Kansas City coming up, Buffalo, 49ers, Seahawks. During this tough stretch of the schedule, I mean, Sirianni, as he could make good decisions, and I want to like Sirianni, but this coaching has got to get better at the end of games, and they really, really could have dominated after that fourth down stop on the goal line with the Eagles. I mean, they should have just, I mean, should have ran out the clock from there, even if it was, you know, a 99-yard drive or an 80-yard drive or whatever. I mean, they had every right to run out the clock and oh. go on a nine-minute drive, eight-minute drive, whatever they had to do to ice the game. I mean, they had it right in the palm of their hand and shouldn't have been that close. It shouldn't have been that close of a game, but I'll say this, that is my shootout of the week. Like I said, all things considered, the Dol- I mean, the Cowboys did play better than the Eagles. It was just because of, I mean, they they still make really, really bad penalties. Like I alluded to earlier, the Cowboys are still making really stupid penalties that are unfortunately timed and just definitely avoidable. And that needs to be addressed big time by the team. But other than that, I mean, if it wasn't for the, you know, a couple of uh, really, really good defensive plays by the Eagles, the Cowboys definitely would have won this game. And uh, like I said, they'll definitely be seeing each other in the playoffs at some point. And uh, December 10th, Sunday night football game in Dallas is going to be pretty much, it's going to be a must watch, uh, especially later in the season when it's going to be. And I will be there too at that game with uh, Dallas. Be traveling with Philly Sports Trip. All right. Gosh, sweet, sweet. Uh, Snoozer of the week. Zach, what is your snoozer of the week? Uh, Snoozer of the week. Rams Packers. That game, there was, there was a big nothing burger. The Rams offense did absolutely nothing. Jordan Love looked okay, but that, that should not have been the big national one o'clock game on Fox. That was a bad football game. Neither one of these teams are going anywhere. Sean McVay actually passed up a 54-yard field goal to punt at one point. That that just that confuses me when kickers in the NFL are supposed to make 54-yard field goals and everybody at least attempts them in that position. So that game just. It, it was boring. It was 7-3 at half. It wasn't great defense. It was just bad offense. Uh, so Rams-Packers, the snooze fest. Yeah, bad bad loss for the for the Rams, too, considering the Packers were probably considered one of the bottom five teams of the league going into this game. I mean, they probably still are, but at least got the critics off their back for a little bit longer. The Packers did, at least. I'm going to go with the Browns-Cardinals. Uh, we, 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 I think we all unanimously predicted this game to be the snooze of the week go you know on the saturday saturday show it was expected cardinals never had a chance cardinals had 58 total yards of offense <laughs> uh they had three turnovers and they had seven sacks well they got sacked seven times um browns continue to show that they're going to win games by their defense and not by their offense offense played pretty well but all things considered it was against a you know really bad cardinals team on both sides of the ball uh, Jedrick, Jedrick Wills did get carted off for the Browns, uh, obviously on that offensive line there. Offense for the Browns took another hit against a Cleveland team that really just cannot afford to be taking any more uh, losses on offense. So that's going to be, you know, Browns don't have any chance going forward, especially with how well uh, the, the Ravens are playing in their division. They're going to, their only chances of making it any, you know, making it far this year is going to be on the backs of their defense. Justin, what was your snoozer of the week? I'll go back to Rams-Packers. Backup quarterback in for the Rams. 
as uh, Brett Rip Rippin uh, was in for the Rams and Jordan Love. Not the best game for him, but definitely just a, a snooze fest of a game. And the Packers did get a win, snapping their four-game losing streak. But, uh, but yeah, the Rams are kind of fading away this season. I thought the Rams would be would at least contend for a wild card spot, but it looks like they're not going to contend now. Yeah, on the other game, I mean, we'll get to, we didn't really touch on the um, Colts-Panthers, but we, we're going to talk to Josh Graham coming up. We'll break down that game with them and with him and then the whole season they've had in general and the season going ahead for the Panthers. But it, other than that, the only other game we didn't really get to was the Saints and Bears. Uh, I don't really have much else to say to that. I mean, unless you guys do, uh, Saints obviously coming away. But um, I don't have much else to really say to that game. I mean, kind of as expected. Um, well, the Saints will probably win the NFC South, but that's by default because the rest of the division is just that bad. We yeah. didn't talk a ton about the Dolphins and the Chiefs. And they just, again, the Dolphins against good teams, we just don't see it. And Tua, how do you underthrow that ball on third down? Didn't look like there was any kind of pressure on him. He just kind of backpedaled and underthrew a wide open. That I forget who it was. I think it was Cedric Wilson was wide open. Would have been a tie game. And, Kansas City is now winning games with their defense. They have been dominant on that side of the ball. And who would have thought the complete transformation? You know, the Chiefs couldn't stop anybody when they won their first Super Bowl. Now they're winning games because of their defense. Now, I wouldn't count out Kansas City, obviously. Right now, they're probably the favorites in the AFC. But would you say the AFC is wide open right now? Yeah. Between Kansas City, Jacksonville, Baltimore. The Dolphins, I think we could kind of... Mm-hmm. You know, look past them a little bit, but I think the yeah, AFC is, is is wide open. Right I think now. the Bengals are right there now. Yeah, the Bengals are starting mm-hmm. to play better. Yeah, I mean Steelers are somehow five and three. I, I mean, yeah, we don't believe in them. I ugly think. wins. Yeah, we don't. But yeah. I mean, they're they're not a they're probably one of the worst five and three teams in the league. I would say, uh, like you said, Zach, Bengals are way better than five and three. You can argue with how they're playing right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's still open for sure. The whole AFC West, pretty bad. I mean, Kansas City Chiefs will definitely win that division for sure. AFC East, luckily, luckily for the Dolphins, the AFC East is really struggling. The Bills are struggling. The Jets, obviously, are struggling without Aaron Rodgers. And the Patriots are probably one of the worst teams in the league. But, yeah, no, I would say that AFC is definitely still wide open. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised. I mean, I think there will definitely be a nine-win team that makes the playoffs this year. Maybe, maybe even eight. I highly doubt it, but... Um, yeah, I mean, they might even, yeah, definitely a nine-win team will, will make the playoffs this year for the AFC. But, yeah, Dol- um, yeah, Dolphins definitely cannot win against good opponents. That's th- something that's definitely going to be a problem going going down the line. And, yeah, but luckily, like I said, luckily for them, they're in a division that is actually kind of struggling, all things considered, more than more so than what you would have thought going into the year. Um, new week's resolutions. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you. What is your new week's resolution? Yeah, my new week's resolution is – Going back to the Dolphins, let's stop falling in love with teams that just put up a lot of points and beat a bunch of bad teams, and let's see what they do against good competition. That's how you evaluate them. It's kind of the Bills syndrome as well. Buffalo has looked very good against some bad teams this year. And the only time that they've looked dominant is when they put 47 on the Dolphins earlier in the season. So I think people have a tendency to fall in love with high-powered offensive teams, but they struggle on the defensive side of the ball, and they don't beat good teams. So let's let's pump the brakes on the Dolphins, and let's pump the brake on the b- brakes on the Bills until proven otherwise, until they can go out against a quality opponent and show that they belong in that upper echelon in a very competitive AFC. 
Yeah, my New Week's resolution, uh, I'm going to go with the Cardinals getting Kyler Murray back. Uh, no chance of the Cardinals making the playoffs this year. Of course, they just traded Josh Dobbs to... Uh, uh, to um, they just traded Josh Dobbs away, and now they have Clayton Toon starting uh, for the Cardinals. I will say the Cardinals w- should get uh, Kyler Murray back, though, because they need to know what they're doing with the quarterback position this year coming up with the draft. Kyler Murray, we forget, started his career off really, really well. I mean, only two years ago, he was 8-1. and one. He had the Cardinals at 8-1 and one and was in the MVP conversation. He now returns healthy for Week 10. He probably will play this week. Uh, and he returns healthy with a new coach and GM. Uh, Kyler Murray was the best when he can just improvise and be on his feet and kind of make plays with his feet. But uh, yeah, under you know, under his uh, past leadership, he was had a really uh, strict play design. Uh, if Gannon can allow him just to kind of do his own thing, kind of improvise, feel the flow, and kind of play like he used to do back in the day, I think Kyler Murray can have a chance to really make a resurgence. Again, Cardinals aren't going aren't going anywhere this year. But they do need to know what they're doing with the draft picks they have next year. And if Kyle Murray can start to play competent football with the with the new regimen, with the new leadership, uh, maybe they might consider picking another team uh, in the draft over a quarterback and you know getting that defense bolstered up around him with those uh, crucial, crucial early draft picks that they're going to have next year. Justin, what is your new week's resolution? Now, Nick Sirianni has to get better with game management at the end of games. That play call... On the third down, well, what were you doing there? I mean, that almost cost you the game. DeAndre Swift almost fumbled. I mean, fumbled the football there. I mean, what kind of play calling is that? The game management with the Eagles is great up until the end of the game, and that's where Nick Sirianni and this coaching staff has to reevaluate it over the bye week. But the reason they're the reason they win games like that. Closely contested games, highly contested games is because of the roster. The coaching staff, I'm, I'm a little weary about it. What, would, what do you guys think? Would you, are you weary about Nick Sirianni a little bit? No, or, no, they're eight and one. They just went to the Super are. Bowl last year. They're eight and one. Like I, I get your concerns and everything, but they're beating good teams. They only have one loss this year, and they're still the favorites right now, or the co-favorites probably with Kansas State to win the Super Bowl. Sirianni's not perfect by any means. But his record speaks for itself. I'm not worried. His close, the close games do kind of concern me. The close games that the Eagles have been in this year. They haven't. That's the yet. NFL. Mm-hmm. Every game, so, they're a lot, they play a ton of close games. The Chiefs played a ton of them last yeah. year. It turned out okay for them. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, they're definitely they, they are. The, I mean, I think they still are the second best team in the league. I actually might even put the, but despite their record, I think I would put the Ravens above them. Obviously, different uh, conference, but. I do think the Ravens are the best team in the league right now. The Eagles would be a second team, though. I mean, you just can't you can't deny that record. And Sirianni has them there, so I don't. He's definitely not going anywhere. He they could lose every game the rest of the season. I think Sirianni would still be fine in coming back next year. Yeah, I would say that's I would say that's the one concern I have with Sirianni. His record is great, and I I think the raw and and the rosters definitely the way they're winning. I mean, for the last. I believe it was the last eight weeks since last year. They've had the best record in the NFL. So, yeah, the one con- yeah, there's concerning with the game management, but if they can figure that out, then they're going to be okay. They're going to be fine. All right, guys, let's move on to Charlotte. Talk uh, talk to Josh Graham. All things uh, breaking down the Panthers Colts game this past week, and we're going to 
talk about their season so far ahead, their season coming up as well. Obviously, Bryce Young, how the fans are taking him in. Maybe a little bit of Hornets talk, but definitely, you know, talking talk some um, the Hurricanes, Carolina Hurricanes, especially how they played last year, and then breaking down some college basketball as well. I think we're going to talk uh, some college basketball. Duke, North Carolina, right in that vicinity as well. College basketball tipped off last night, so we're going to break it all down with him, kind of the outlook of the teams ahead, uh, especially Duke, and yeah, we'll kind of just see how what, what he has to say about that, but awesome interview with him. And without further ado, let's head on to Charlotte and talk to Josh. Okay, we're now at the Charlotte and bring on Josh Graham from WSJ, WSJS Sports, uh, his own podcast, The Drive, with Josh, Josh Graham. Been doing that for over about five years now. You told me, Josh, no Charlotte sports, inside and out, pro sports, college sports. Going to start with the Panthers, break down some uh, Duke basketball as well as, far, as, well as um, some NC basketball. Basketball tipped off just last night in college, and we're going to break it all down with you. Their season ahead, what we can expect. But like I said, I do want to start with the Panthers. Uh, two weeks ago, the Panthers did beat the, uh, the Texans at home. How big was this win considering the narrative going on between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud? And um, how, you know, how have they built off this momentum going into the rest of the season? Now, of course, they just lost to the Colts this past weekend. But just how big was this win, again, just given this QB battle that they had between the number one and number two overall pick this past year? Well, before Sunday, I would have said it was a really, really big deal. And you could probably make the argument that Bryce is in a better place than C.J. Stroud was. But then Bryce has literally the worst game of his life two pick sixes, three interceptions. The only other time he had three picks in a game was his final high school game. Didn't do it at Alabama. Three, four years of high school football, his final game, but the details are important in that. He had five touchdowns in that game as well, his last game at high school, and three interceptions. One of them was on a Hail Mary on the final play of the game. So we've literally never seen Bryce Young play as bad as he did on Sunday. Frank Wright called it a one-in-a-million type game when meeting with the media yesterday, the win against the Texans was important because if you lost at home to C.J. Stroud and then C.J. Stroud threw for a record 470 yards, then every single conversation across the country is that you blew it trading up for the number one pick. Now, there still is a chance that Carolina did that. The problem is we're probably not going to know that until a year, two from now, and people don't like the wait. They like to leap to conclusions. And when you do that, you might make mistakes, like everybody believing that Baker Mayfield was better than Josh Allen after half of a season in 2018, or a couple few years ago that perhaps you know Justin Herbert is better than Joe Burrow because of the first few games as well, where Herbert blossomed a lot sooner than Joe Burrow did. So that's that's the takeaway from the last couple of weeks, and now Carolina has a short week getting set for the Bears Thursday night. What do you? Th- what are the fans thinking of Bryce Young during his rookie season so far? Well, there are a few things with that. The Panthers aren't playing all that well. Bryce isn't the problem until Sunday. He wasn't the problem. Uh, the offensive line has been bad, and you know some of that. You, uh, it's hard to really blame Frank Reich for that because the offensive line was a strength a year ago when Steve Wilkes was the interim coach and you're running the ball predominantly or not really r- throwing it all that often. So I think those analytic pro football focus type numbers might have overinflated how good this line was and more specifically the left tackle that they took in the top 10, Ike Aquanu, 
he seems to have regressed. He hasn't been good in pass protection. You lose Brady Christensen in the first half of the first game for the entire season. Austin Corbett, their right guard, who was on the Rams Super Bowl team, he hasn't been available until that Texans game uh, nine days ago. He hasn't been available the entire season. So the O-line hasn't been all that good. So Bryce hasn't been all that good. And that comes to be expected for rookies. And fans generally are not very patient with it, especially when you have an owner that since he took over in 2018, Carolina has not had a winning season. In fact, they've had the worst record in the NFL since 2019. So fans, they're upset about that. And then the Bryce piece of him not playing all that well, coupled with CJ blossoming the way he has in Houston, has led Panther fans to be understandably very frustrated. So I've heard a lot about the owner obviously taking over. He was from the it was a minority owner with the Steelers or he had a stake in them. Now he is with That's the right. Panthers owning the team. What are the fans thinking of Dave Tepper? If I'm if I'm saying that correctly, David Tepper, yeah, that's right. And uh, what do the fans think of him so far? Obviously, you just said they've had a losing se- haven't had a winning season since 2018. But are the fans starting to blame ownership? Or yeah, that's that's happening, and that happens anywhere when you don't win. Because you got to consider this: when when there in the state of North Carolina, you had until Charlotte FC was purchased in recent years, and they started professional soccer here. You had the Carolina Hurricanes in Raleigh. The Hornets have been irrelevant for three decades. And you have the Carolina Panthers here. And in 2018, the Hurricanes were purchased by a man named Tom Dundon. The Carolina Hurric- uh, the Panthers were purchased by David Tepper. And at that point, the Hurricanes had missed the playoffs nine consecutive years. People were talking about relocation and, oh my gosh, is Kanaki work in the South, that type of thing. And meanwhile, the Panthers had Cam Newton, Luke Keekley. They were fresh off a playoff appearance in 2017 when he took over the team. So one was riding high. One was as low as you can get. Ever since Tom Dundon arrived in in Raleigh, the Hurricanes have made the playoffs every single year, the last three years winning their division, and now betting favorites going into the year to win the Stanley Cup, while the Panthers, again, a playoff team with Keekly, Cam, Thomas Davis, the whole deal. Ron Rivera, you're winning his coach in franchise history. And you haven't been to the playoffs one time. And you you whiffed on the Matt Rule hire. No question about that. Some A lot of people wanted them to hire Steve Wilkes as the interim coach. They hire Frank Reich instead. To be fair, we don't know if, what Frank Reich's going to be yet. It's still too early to decide that. And now you see C.J. Stroud doing as well as he's doing, while Bryce is off to a rougher start, which is, you know, normal for quarterbacks taking number one, but still frustrating when you see something abnormal like what CJ's doing. Yeah, people are pissed. People are pissed at at ownership, and it's because this is a team that less than a decade ago was in the Super Bowl. This is a team that the decade before that went to the Super Bowl. This is not the Cleveland Browns. This is not a franchise where the fan base has become apathetic with losing. They're not used to that. And now that they are losing, they don't know who to blame other than ownership because that's the one constant with all the losing. What's the timeline for the team? I mean, going forward, just in general, like you keep, I mean, we don't want to keep banging on the head, but 2018, um, you know, you haven't had a winning season. What are the fans like? What's the timeline going forward? Obviously, they don't have their first round pick anymore. They traded that to Chicago. 
Uh, I don't even think as of now they have a first round pick next year in the draft at all. So like what, I mean, like what is the timeline? What are fans thinking like four years, like three years? Like what are, what are we thinking as far as getting back to the playoff and back to like winning football for this team? Well, Frank Wright was talking about that yesterday saying that there's a blueprint and the blueprint is we, there are players at premium positions that we plan to fill out this roster around starting next season. Now you're right. They don't have a first round draft pick to build around, but you do have your second because the second round pick they send they sent to the Bears was given to them by San Francisco in the Christian McCaffrey McCaffrey trade a year ago. So mm-hmm. they, they do yeah. they do have more draft picks than some people are giving them credit for. You would like to have that first round pick if it's a top five pick, certainly, but that will be worth it if you think you got your quarterback in Bryce Young, and that's really what the next couple of months are about. If you look at other premium positions, you think about left tackle, Ikki Aquanu. Seems like a bit of a miss, but you have a great offensive line coach, James Campen, who was with the Packers all those years with Aaron Rodgers, that you hope can develop him into at least being a plus player if he's not going to be a Pro Bowl type player. Um, Frankie Louvu has emerged at linebacker, at edge rusher, Brian Burns. you got to pay that guy. He's not going to play this week after having a concussion on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Derek Brown, you don't see a lot of run-stopping you know, big guys de-tackle up front becoming available when free agency comes around. So they feel they could build around that guy. And at corner, unfortunately, a guy that you took number eight overall in 2021 hasn't stayed healthy in J.C. Horn. So if if you get him back and he can be somewhat of a plus player for you, and that's just him playing, that's how good he is, then you do have guys at premium positions who can help you. And also it's a given that you want your offensive line to be healthy too. I don't think this is like a three, four-year type deal. I think they hope if Bryce Young takes steps that next year this is a team that could compete. And it's hard to argue with it when you look at the current state of the NFC South. So you would say the offensive line is the biggest thing they got to fix up, though, especially for Bryce being sure. obviously that franchise quarterback and getting him kind of developing. For a yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Well, I want to move on to college basketball. Duke. Uh, began the rankings number two overall, UNC number 19. Tip-off just happened last night. Let's start with Duke. I mean, Duke, what are the fans saying? I mean, is this year going to be the year they get back to their winning ways and kind of get you know to the Final Four and maybe even win it all? Like, What are the fans thinking uh, about Duke this year? Obviously started off, like I said, number two, but still, you know, still kind of uh, adjusting to a new coach, a new co- uh, coaching regimen. So, what are the outlook? What's the outlook for Duke this year, and what, what's the expectations for all the all the alumni, all the fans that for uh, of Duke going forward? Well, the Final Four is the expectation at a place like Duke. Two years ago, this mm-hmm. team was in the Final Four. Last year, they won the ACC tournament and um, Greensboro. They should have won the regular season if not for a bad call at the end of the Virginia game where Filipowski wasn't able to go to the line. And, you know, if he, he'll, he'll have two free throw attempts. He hits one, they win the game. And now you have four starters back, plus a couple of five stars who are expected to factor into that rotation. Uh, one game to circle this week is going to be Duke and Arizona Friday night at Cameron, where mm-hmm. last night Mark Mitchell, one of those returning starters, didn't play. You hope you can have him back for Friday. No, no, no word on whether or not that's going to be the case, but... Caleb Love, who hit the shot for North Carolina to beat Duke in that Final Four in Coach K's last game, is now an Arizona Wildcat in his last year. So he's going to make one more trip to Cameron Indoor on Friday night. This is a team that's expected to win the ACC. This is a team that is expected to be a national championship 
contender. The only team ranked in front of them was is the Kansas Jayhawks. Hunter Dickinson in his debut transferring from Michigan was raining threes last night. And you didn't really see a lot of that with Michigan. So uh, Kansas and Duke, they're the clear like head and shoulder best teams in college basketball right now. Yeah. Now on the other side, you know, UNC, UNC has been had a, you know, a tough couple of years. These past couple of years, they do open this season this year. They open with the AP pool ranked number 19. Uh, what's their, what's their outlook going for this year? I mean, definitely kind of rebuilding uh, from the last couple of years. They've had a little bit of a drop off. I think last year they even started off top five, if I don't believe in the, in the uh, number season. one. Yeah, number one. That's yeah. I knew. I knew it was like you know top. I knew it was definitely up there. I forgot that it was number one. But um, they ended the season, of course, unranked. And you know, obviously, we all know how their season kind of ended in general. So, what's like the what's the mindset of the UNC fans? Like, do they are they confident that they're going to be able to keep this ranking number nineteen? Maybe even go lower? Or are we kind of expecting the same thing last year? Kind of have high hopes beginning of the season, but then maybe start to flame out as the season goes along. Let's just start here. Get to the tournament. That's yeah. it. Like, you missed the tournament a year ago. That doesn't happen in North Carolina very often. It's only happened three times in the last 20 years. Get to the tournament. That's first and foremost. Hubert Davis uh, has been very active in the portal, bringing in, you know, Cormac Ryan from Notre Dame, Harrison Ingram from Stanford, having a five-star point guard reclassifying Elliot Cadell, his first incoming five-star player since becoming the head coach. You've got Armando Baycott back, preseason All-American, uh, you have R.J. Davis that get to the tournament. That's the starting point. And in terms of ranking and those types of things, I, I don't set the expectations much higher than that. I think this is a team that right now is a team that you would expect to get to the tournament and win a game. Don't lose your first game in the tournament. But beyond that, anything extra, getting to the second weekend, getting to the Elite Eight, that's all just icing on the cake. But at a program for North Carol- like North Carolina, the standard, the expectations, at least getting to the tournament, and if that doesn't happen, then you have real questions about who your head coach is if you don't make the tournament in consecutive years in a place like North Carolina. So, that's, I mean, a successful season for North Carolina would be making making just the tournament this year. Because obviously last year, they, well, unfortunately, they did, they did miss it. But this would be the expectation would just be to go – to the tournament this year, and that would be a successful season for U.S. Yeah, j- j- like. Obviously, there's some, you know, the context matters. Like, if you're a team that mm-hmm. is mediocre, average throughout the year, and barely sneaks in, that's different than being a team that, you know, is for sure comfortably a tournament team. So some of the details are important in that, but in order for there not to be a hot seat Hubert Davis conversation, get to the tournament and win a game. That's that's what that's what keeps his seat cool. Well, I want to talk more college. I mean, I know you got to get going soon here, Josh. This has been awesome. I do want to finish up with just some general college basketball talk. I know you, you know, on your podcast, The Drive with Josh Graham, you you break down college basketball a lot, mostly ACC, but I know you follow it pretty well overall in general. I do want to, you know, what your kind of expectations are like who do you think you know what do you think uh is a team that might be a sleeper this year that is going to be a lot better than people think beginning of the season and what team do you think might actually you know potentially be dropping off uh from these you know whether it be a top 10 team or a team that just had a lot of expectations going into the season the obvious team of the team that might drop off is michigan state who ranked in the top five and they lose last night to james madison that's the first place that you have to start if you want to talk about contenders who could potentially fall off. Uh, in terms of teams that might be under the radar, that are fun to watch this year, 
Marquette has a preseason All-American that, you know, and last year had a really good season in the Big East. I, I really like them. If we're going to broaden it outside of the ACC, Creighton made it to the Elite Eight and was, you know, lost by a point in the Elite Eight to San Diego State away from going to the Final Four. They bring everybody back. I, I think the Blue Jays are a really strong team. Uh, and then if you're looking in the ACC, I, I Miami again. <laughs> they made mm-hmm. the Final Four last year. Everyone's talking about Duke, but Nigel Pack, Jordan Miller, they're back. Um, Wuga Poplar is supposed to emerge this year. They have to transfer Matthew Cleveland from Florida State. Those are just three teams I have circled. Those teams that can potentially be national championship, Final Four type contenders that aren't really in that top tier, top five debate right now. Um, but obviously, a lot of time between now and March. Yeah, um, and you think, uh, what, do you, what do you think about UConn this year? I know you just kind of touched base on it briefly. I mean, do you expect them to have the same kind of season they had last year, starting off eight, obviously? I mean, won it all last year. What are your kind of expectations for Utah, uh, UConn? Do you think they've dropped off a little bit since last year, or do you think they have the potential to, to run it back again? And they don't see a lot things? of repeat champs. So right, if, right. if the standard is you've won the title and now you're not going to win the title, but you're still going to have a really good year, then and if you call that a setback, then sure. But they're, they got another great team. I don't know if this can win. An, I don't know if they can win another national title this year, but obviously, like in the Big East, they're – at the top right now and give credit to Dan Hurley, give credit to that program that's now had three different coaches win a national championship in the last, you know, dozen years. Jim Calhoun, Kevin Ollie, and now Dan Hurley. It's impressive. What's your thoughts on Alabama being ranked so high this year in the AP, AP pool? Obviously had a great season last year. Even the last couple of years, they had a great, they've had a great season. Now they, uh, they look, they're looking in. I mean, they're just outside the top 25 at 26, so not really getting a whole lot of respect by the AP voters going into the season. And what, what, what's your kind of thoughts on that, given how they They, they, they don't play a lot years? of defense. They lost Brandon Miller, lost some draft picks. Saw them nine days ago in Winston-Salem in person. And This is a team that was up 13 in that exhibition at halftime and then get outscored by 21 points by Wake Forest, who is going to be a borderline NCAA tournament team this year. So Alabama, eh, well, I mean, when you lose guys like that, how many programs can afford to lose Brandon Miller and and afford to lose National Player of the Year type players? Not many. Um, They'll still be good. I mean, they probably will make the NCAA tournament, and uh, they'll be competitive in the SEC, which is pretty good. But in terms of where they were a year ago, it's not close. Yeah, a lot of surprising teams. I mean, you got Gonzaga up there high in the rankings. I know, like I said, rankings don't really mean much, especially in the beginning of the season because it's so hard to kind of judge these teams when they first start out. But, you know, San Diego State's pretty high up there. They obviously made a really good run last year in the, in the tournament. Uh, I mean, I'm surprised to see UConn up at eight even. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a surprising season. I'm excited to see, like like always, when the season starts, just how these kind of uh, – how, how the teams kind of end up doing and how – how, uh, how much on point the AP voters were at the beginning of the season. My last question for you, uh, Josh, what is your thoughts on Rick Pitino at St. John's? What do you think St. John's uh, expectations are this year with Rick Pitino finally coming back into the coaching pool in college? Just your personal beliefs, like what do you think about St. John's and like how they might end up doing this year under, under Pitino? Well, it's one of the best stories in college basketball this year. Mm-hmm. The FBI scandal, it took six years for that to get – shaken out completely, not much came of it, and you look at where Louisville's at, one of the worst teams in college basketball last year, and this, this, I mean, last night, they needed a beneficial call, let's say, or a beneficial no call for them to score a basket in the final 10 seconds in order to escape UMBC after losing to 
well, you know, Kentucky Wesley in a D2 team in an exhibition a week ago. That program's in shambles right now, and if they had Rick Pitino still, they probably would not be. They regret probably firing him, and you, Rick Pitino. I, I've had coaches across the country tell me that if they had one coach to win a game, X's and O's wise, no one's better than Rick Pitino is. So, obviously, he's up there in age, um, but he's in a conference now where you can really make a national imprint, and we'll see how quickly it can happen at St. John's. Well, Josh, thanks so much. This has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. I mean, talking some Panthers with us and definitely, you know, getting ready for college basketball too. Just tipped off last night. More games to come tonight, obviously. And then, of course, all the way leading into March. And we can't wait for it. Going to see what happens. And it's going to be a great season ahead. So we really appreciate you joining us and kind of thanks, Jared. Nice breakdown. Absolutely, man. We'll be in touch. Do this again sometime soon, okay? Thanks Sounds for good. coming. Thanks, Jared. All right. Thanks, Josh, Justin. Thanks bye bye. Okay, let's finish up the show with our intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, what is your intake of the week? Intake of the week is NFL defenses this year. This has been a much better year for defenses in the NFL than than the previous five to ten last five to ten years, and uh, I I think defenses are definitely kind of figuring the offenses out. I think we kind of overlook it. I know it's an offensive driven league, but I think the defenses are starting to play a a more of a crucial role they've always have but they're starting to figure out offenses way more this year than they did last year so yeah I think it's more of a defensive year than an offensive year but still the off still the cream rises to the top as they say and and offense and the best offenses will get it together yeah my intake of the week uh Marcus Spears said on ESPN that the Chiefs have a problem on offense uh, I think they do, too. I don't think it's a major problem. They're going to definitely figure it out. We say this with the Chiefs every single year at this time of the season. and we all, Even last year we said it, and we all know how they ended up the season last year. Uh, their biggest problem is they don't take advantage of big play opportunities. They, um, they were a lot more explosive and a lot more longer plays and uh, bigger quality plays last year. And I think that's a lot of the heat they've been getting this year is that they're not taking advantage of you know, killer opportunities to really put teams away. And it's kind of allowing teams to stay in the games longer than they probably should. Uh, but I, yeah, I, for now I do agree with Mar- Marcus Spears, but I do think they are going to come back and figure things out for the offense. Uh, obviously they just want a good game against the Dolphins and uh, their defense, uh, like you said, Zach, a while ago, I mean, their defense has really been the biggest highlight for the Chiefs so far. And that's uh, even more so than their offense, which not many people would have expected going into this season. But their offense will click just like the Eagles will click, and I think they're going to be an explosive team uh, going on the stretch. But for now, yeah, I do agree with Mar- Marcus Spears. Offense could definitely have a little bit of toning, toning up, but I think well, once they do, they'll, they'll be completely fine and uh, get onto their winning ways once the playoffs start to happen. Uh, Zach, what's your intake of the week? Yeah, my intake of the week is that there's clearly no dominant team outside of the Eagles in the NFC right now. You look at Detroit, they're 6-2, and two, but are we truly ready to buy in on them? The Seahawks... We're in first place in the NFC West, and then they go get blown out by the Ravens. 49ers have lost three in a row. You could make the argument that the Cowboys are actually the second-best team in the NFC right now after the way they played yesterday in a game that they probably should have won against the Eagles, You know, if not for an inch here and an inch there with the fourth down stop and Dak Prescott going out of bounds on a two-point conversion. So I, I think the Cowboys are a contender, and I think they're not going to win the NFC East, but I would not want to play them in the playoffs right now because they are – probably the most complete team outside of the Eagles in the NFC. The AFC, I think, is a far superior conference this year. The Eagles are yeah. clearly the top team in the NFC, and I don't really know if we can identify 
the second best team in the NFC. I think right now it's either Dallas or San Francisco. And I guess based on the game earlier this year, you got to give the edge to the Niners, even though they're not playing all that well right now. Do you think the Seahawks will bounce back at all? Yeah, get back. Yeah, I think they'll yeah. bounce back. Geno, I mean, it's Geno Smith. He has to take care of the ball better. I mean, that was one of his biggest strengths last year because he took care of the ball so well. And, and I mean, this this they won't play a worse game this year than they did uh, this past Sunday. I mean, they had a season-low total yards, only 151. Season-low, 28 rushing yards. A season-worst, 1 for 13 on third down conversions and a worst total yards allowed on the season with their opponent scoring, of course, 515, the Ravens, that being. Defense is still really good, though. And like I said, their offense can't play as bad as they did uh, you know, this past weekend in Baltimore. So they're going to – they're gonna. Yeah, I still that. think Seattle c- – yeah, I still think Seattle can contend for a wild card spot, and possibly even the NFC West. They were in first place last week at a five and two record with the 49ers losing. So I, I can see Seattle maybe even contending for the division. Who knows? Yeah, it is concerning though. I mean, since week four, Seahawks ranked 29th in points per drive, ahead of only the Patriots, Cardinals, and Giants. In that span, they've also. Uh, either gained zero yards or lost yardage on about 38% of their plays. <laughs> so it's their offensive line is a big, big issue. Uh, seventh different grouping of their offensive line in the past eight games. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, hopefully they can get it figured out. Their defense is still pretty good, especially their secondary. Their defense is awesome on their secondary. But uh, if they can, they need to figure out the offense to have uh, – I mean, making the playoffs is great, but to have any chance of making a, a, a run in the playoffs, the offense – Definitely needs to get figured out. Moving on, outtakes of the week. Uh, Justin, what is your outtake of the week? At the beginning of the season, everybody was saying how we overrated the AFC. It's not overrated. The AFC is a far superior conference, as Zach just alluded to, to the NFC. And at the beginning of the year, a lot of people were saying, oh, the NFC, look at the earth. They were 6-0 and to start off the season against, uh, you know, AFC teams, mm-hmm. but the AFC is much better. We completely overrated the NFC, and I, I think the AFC, I think the AFC is a much better conference, much better conference. I was easily, yeah. I was one of them. I, I was kind of saying that NFC was blowing expectations in the beginning of the year, and now, now we're back to work. starting to come back. To yeah, work. yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's been that way for a long time now. The AFC has been more superior than the NFC, and yeah, I was wrong at first too. Things, like I said, evening out, getting back to, to how they should be, I guess. My outtake of the week, um, Dabo getting hype, hyped up after his win against Notre Dame. Um, yeah, this was pretty bad. Um, he was you know, saying, you better buy Clemson stock right now. Um, I, I hope he's talking about next season <laughs> because this season is still a big-time major wash for Clemson. Uh, good, I mean, it was a good win against Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame, of course, being one of the top teams in the country, but... Clemson, yeah, this, this this year is a wash for Clemson. I do think they might have a chance to come back next year if Dabo can figure some things out and, you know, play more modern era, as, as we kind of kept saying across this podcast many, 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 many times. But, yeah, a um, little bit too much for Dabo. Uh, with, uh, not a good season to be doing that, and maybe next season he can start doing that, and maybe next season I'll start buying stock in Clemson. But, you know, until then, um, I have to see, have to see a little, little bit more. Zach, finish us off. What is your outtake of the week? Yeah, anybody who's criticizing Caleb Williams for crying after losing to Washington can cram it. Like, this guy has passion. He want, he cares a lot. Like, 
do we want people to not care? Do we want them to just start laughing and giving off, you know, doing trading jersey swaps after the game? Like, what are we doing? Caleb Williams yeah. cares, and he put up 42 points on the board against a very good Washington team, a top-five team. And the fact is his defense is so bad that their coordinator, Alex Grinch, just got fired. I don't know how Caleb Williams does this because he is putting up numbers. He put he shows up every week, and he's losing more games than he should because his defense can't get the job done. It's tough to be a good teammate in that situation. I don't want to see the media bashing him for going into the stands and crying with his parents after the game. That's just ridiculous. Could you imagine if USC had even, like, somewhat competent of a defense? You know what I want to see? <laughs> what game I actually want to see? I want to see USC versus Iowa. I want to see Iowa, who can't score, versus USC's defense, who can't stop anybody. Yeah, that would – that's, uh, yeah, a – what do they call it? Unstoppable force versus an immovable object? That's, or in this case, pretty- it's the stoppable object versus the movable object. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Thank you. Very true. Good, uh, good call there. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's never going to happen. And but unfortunately, that, that well, it might happen because USC's going uh, like ten. I guess so. Yeah, they're going to play. I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, yeah, it will happen. Yeah, true. The season, uh, the it came out right. The um, the schedule came yeah. out. Yeah, they're not. Are they? I mean, I don't believe they play next offhand. year. Yeah. Either way, I'm all for it. Happy to see it. I can't. But most importantly, obviously that 12 game playoff, I can't see. I can't wait to wait till that happens. All right, guys, good show. Uh, we'll do this all again on Thursday. Good, great guest, still getting uh, finalized, but great guest coming up on Thursday as well, like we always do. Breaking down all things college and uh, anything else that comes up between now and then as well. But um, until then, we'll see you Thursday and keep on traveling.